For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Never miss a match with live commentary, goal alerts, lineups, in-game stats and TV and radio links for over 100 leagues globally. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, as always, to the newest episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where today it will be depressing. <laughs> right, guys? I don't think there's any other mm. way around it. And I shouldn't be surprised yeah. anyone listening either, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, Some called it. It, 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 ha- it has been a rough week for us as Chelsea fans, but it's been an especially rough week for Andres because his 2016 World Series championship now has an asterisk next to it because mm. apparently the Astros are a bunch of cheaters. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So thanks for that, Andres. So, I'm not about to get into baseball as if I'm some pro. But baseball has to be baseball has to be the most cheated sport in the history of all sports. So I don't want to hear it. Sign stealing, do better. Have better signs. That's all I'm gonna say. The Houston Astros are Our officially champs. They honestly should go play their baseball in Italy. I mean, they're so Dude. good at cheating. They'll they'll win so many more titles like that. If Barry Bonds makes the world the uh, Hall of Fame someday, then I want that asterisk removed. He that. will, and and his Hall of Fame will have an asterisk next to it because he took steroids. Also, the whole organization. Why are we talking about baseball right now? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm the only. Um, I'm the one here who actually likes baseball. I'm, I'm <laughs> Anyways, what's up, Andres? The second half of uh, Roman's Empire podcast. <laughs> uh, the second half of a trio. Sob is so butthurt. No, <laughs> it's inside joke. Uh, yeah. yeah, so, okay. uh, I mean, I don't even have the scores up, but I just know that both games this weekend were draws. Um, no. No, they weren't. We lost to Newcastle 1-0. I mean, we, we lost that game. They were actually both losses as far as I'm concerned. <sighs> lost 1-0 to Newcastle. That's, that's where my head is at. Like, I don't even remember. I, I tried to, like, black out what happened. Dude, I was watching. I was watching the end of that Newcastle game with my mom in the room, and she's like trying to talk to me. I'm like, "Mom, please, like, l- let me pay attention." And she's like, "All right." All right. <laughs> and that last goal, and I'm just like screaming, "Like, fuck, are you kidding me?" And my mom's like, "All right, I'm gonna get out of here." Like, <laughs> it was I just. Have a, uh-huh. I have a I have a similar funny story. So when I was watching the Arsenal match, when Dave put us up two one. I literally like I just grabbed my balls and I just shook them towards the TV and just let out the most like violent like fuck you. And then four minutes later, I had nothing but pulsating balls and a two-two draw. Oh, so yeah, that's that's just it's been rough. Oh my god, it's been rough. Yeah, let's yeah. Just... Uh, I don't have that yeah. kind of story. I just watched the game and was just very disappointed. I'm not. I'm not talking about an under the pants balls grab, Andres. I'm talking like a like a like a cojones. Oh type no of no. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want the details. Yeah, I just want like to know a, how hard you like, grabbed it that you said. No, that it was no. Cojones like like a Diego Simeone type thing. Yeah, but you, you said know? you were in like pain a, afterwards. What kind of grip were you? I using? was fucking hyped. What do you want me to do? I thought we were gonna win. <laughs> So the perfect response is to rip your rip your balls off, yeah. No, I didn't rip them. I squeezed Good. them. That was my mistake. Cool. Sorry, Put yeah. I got to I got to keep an eye on the distinction. But let's just to start off, let's talk about Frank's tactics and subs. Um, 
in these two matches. We're gonna we're just gonna go through them both uh, together as one because really they were the same thing, uh, just a couple days after each other. So <laughs> Newcastle, first sub, 68th minute. My boy Ross on for Mason Mount. Emerson coming on for Reese James in the 75th due to injury, and then Mishi coming in for Tammy in the 80th. Um, and then for the Arsenal match, Kovacic off for Ross Barkley in the 66th minute, which is definitely the one that needs to be talked about the most. Conte off for Mount in the 69th. Willian off for Mishi in the 69th, trying to get that second striker on a bit of desperation. But, I mean, with, against 10 men, uh, I, 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 I keep on, like, remembering the fact that it was against 10 men too and it just gets me even more mad but let's talk a little bit about the tactics and the subs overall i know i just read six different subs but you guys get the idea um zach let's start off with you what do you what, what do you think uh i mean the newcastle game it was frustrating um because it just seemed like a game that was we were just crying out for somebody that could pick a lock. And I think Kovacic is the only midfielder we have that could really do that. And the fact that he wasn't even called on in that situation just kind of blew me away. Like I I, I was in shock. I really couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I, I guess a sub that, that, that pissed me off the most was Ross Barkley coming on for Mason Mount. I thought Mason Mount was at least giving us some sort of energy and, you know, his pressing was decent as well. So I think we still could have used that. He could also chip in a goal. We haven't seen Ross Barkley do any of that. And this is this is the thing I just really don't understand is why we keep calling on him in in in, in tough matches, in times where we where we need a spark. The guy takes five, six, seven touches on the ball every time he receives it. I just I, I just don't maybe maybe they're seeing something else on a training pitch that we're not seeing, but based on what I'm watching, what is he really giving us? We actually lose mobility when he comes on the pitch noticeably. Um, Kovacic and Conte could get around the pitch a lot better than he can. Um, you know, his distribution is decent. It's, supposedly, he has a long shot on him, which we haven't seen. I don't think he has a goal outside the box for us yet. Mm -hmm. You know, if he's not chipping in with goals and assists, why keep calling on the guy? And, and, I, and I also, like, I, I could also sympathize with him a bit as well because – you know, his whole time at Chelsea, he's always been in and out of the squad. He's never had a consistent run. So it's just confusing to me that a guy with no rhythm, with no consistency, is coming into a match just kind of being thrown out there, expected to do something, and then gets shot on when it doesn't happen by Chelsea fans like me. <laughs> but <laughs> And me. But, you know, it's it, 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 it's it's warranted in a certain way. And no, the blame isn't all on Ross Barkley. The blame has to also be on Frank Lampard in these situations because it's it, – it, it's, it's beginning to get ridiculous to me. And, you know, I mean, the the Arsenal subs were, you know, more confusing for me. Um, why Kovacic came off the pitch was, I mean, there's just really no words. There's, there's absolutely no reason. I thought if two players were actually doing a job for us in the match, it was Kovacic and Jorginho. At least they were keeping play move. And it's not a coincidence that the second Kovacic comes off, we completely lose our bearings on the match. It's just, you know, there's there's no chemistry with Jorginho and Barkley. So Jorginho couldn't control the game because Barkley never does what he wants him to. You know, N'Golo Conte was having a shocker. He brought on Mason Mount and Barkley, which made sense, you know, put on your attacking midfielders. But Kovacic shouldn't have been off the pitch at all. We could have saved the sub there. And 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 that's 
that's the confusing part for me is it just seems like Frank is getting it wrong with the substitutions lately. And, you know, other times throughout the season, we were actually praising him for the way he's using players. And now it just seems like he doesn't really know what he wants from his subs. And he's just kind of looking for something, looking for some sort of spark. It just, it reeks of desperation for me, but exactly. Andres, plus, I, plus, sorry, just to add insult to yeah. injury. I mean, Tammy being hurt at the end of the match, like, yeah, you know, you could really use that third sub right then and there. I mean, yeah, he's an inexperienced coach and he needs time, but at the same time, you know, it's it, if if an armchair fan like me can see that a guy like Kovacic either needs to be on the pitch in a Newcastle game or on the pitch in the Arsenal game, and Frank's not seeing that. I mean, yeah. it's, like I mean, I just I'm trying, just I'm trying to think about what could a possible like reason be. Like, what what would what do you guys think his his decision making process was in coming to the final conclusion that we need to put Ross Barkley on two matches in a <laughs> row, like at, around the same time. Maybe to prove a point that we have no attacking midfielder on the squad. Yeah. I you mean I to don't prove know. to the board, like send a message yeah. to the board. I mean, I, that's that, the only thing that makes sense to me. I, I know that swear we have to, to God, rotate. I swear but... to God, that's the only thing that could reasonably make sense. Yeah, we we all can agree that we believe that Lampard's a smart guy, but I have to say that these last two games were the worst management I've seen from Lampard all season. And yeah. yes, he's an inexperienced manager, but at least you expect that by this point we see some general improvement. In his way of coaching, I get it. The players have good runs of form, bad runs of form. You miss, confidence, whatever. But at least with Lampard's decision-making, you expect it to be progressing in an upward trend. And, yeah, we at the beginning of the season, we're like, yeah, he's getting it right. He's getting the tactical changes correct. And now for the Newcastle game, so he comes out and he's got uh, no Kovacic in the midfield. He's got Mount and Conte. And I remember Zach mentioning, oh, he's going to press them high. But why yeah. press high in a game where Newcastle is not trying to play with the ball? So there's not going to be a real chance for us to win the ball up up in the pitch. They're going to defend with a back five and then a low block of four midfielders. So, again, why have both Conte and Mount, who don't know how to take apart a low block, as your main kind of support system to your front three? And then in the next game against Arsenal, perfect. Perfect starting 11. I honestly have zero complaints. You have Kovacic and Conte and Jorginho in midfield three because Arsenal likes to play with the ball. And with that midfield three, we can pass around their midfield, tire them out, and then find gaps. The moment they lost David Luiz was the moment that you should have seen the first sub be Conte out for somebody offensive because the moment in the 66th, we were already drawn after Conte slipped. And the slip isn't the reason for the sub. The reason for the sub is when Conte gets the ball in the final third, he looks like a deer in the headlights. Simple as that. When Conte is asked to be the primary source or, or be part of the main group of players that's handling the ball in the final third, it's not going to go well. We usually see Conte perform well in the final third when it's when it's a shock, when it's like mm -hmm. everybody else is doing their part and then, oh, Conte found himself in a good position. His goals or contributions to goals only come against the top six, right? He has scored big goals against Tottenham. He scored against City and Liverpool this season. Usually those goals come because, again, you don't expect it. But then in a match where, again, Arsenal goes down to 10 men, 
meaning they're going to go straight into the low block after we draw the game. Why keep him on? Zach yeah. already mentioned Kovacic should have stayed on. We could have gone back to a 4-2-3-1 with Kovacic and Jorginho as a double pivot with maybe Mount or even Ross Barkley at the 10 with that first sub, which would then, Sam mentioned it, we would have loved to have a third sub by the time Tammy got hurt because an injured Tammy was on the pitch and was actually part of the reason we gave up a goal against Bellerin late in the game. <laughs> so again, if Tammy goes down and we have a third sub at that time because we didn't waste a second sub to take Conte out later on, it's just, man, Lampard is, is not thinking straight right now. No need to press a team that's not going to play football. And then against Arsenal, the moment you they lose the 10th man and you're only up one nothing, they tie it's 1-1, you know they're going to defend. Don't keep the one guy that doesn't know how to be an offensive threat. Twice, twice in the week, he goes ops for Conte to stay on the pitch when we're chasing after goals. And again, due to our recent form, we're struggling to get those. And Conte is yeah. not going to get you that. Well, well, what about even changing our formation or ch or changing our shape? Why not pull off a midfielder, go Kovacic and Jorginho, and throw two wingers to just spray crosses into two strikers? Go four four two, and and. and 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 that that's the thing. If we need a goal, you have a striker sitting there right on the bench in Michi Batshuayi who can't lead the line on his own, but is actually not so bad when he's partnered up with somebody like Tammy that could hold up player that he could play off of. Just create chaos in the box. And it, you know, it's it, for me, change the formation, get a different look. If whatever we're doing isn't working, and you don't have the players at your disposal to continue to do what we're doing, change the look. You have to adapt your formation based on the players that are available. But but and, that's the thing. That 4-4-2 for me, Zach, wouldn't have changed the look because guess what we did for 90 minutes against Arsenal? We put the ball wide and then sprayed crosses in. If anything, that's why I wanted a 4-2-3-1 to try to add some sort of factor in the middle of the pitch to try to move the ball a little bit centrally because all game, all we did was build out of the back, straight out to the wings, wingers or fullbacks cross the ball in. That was literally all we did, both yeah. of these games. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. If that's all we're gonna do, anyways, just, just throw Michi on up top with Tim. Like that's 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 probably the bane of my frustration in this whole thing is how predictable we become in in the attacking third, right? I mean, we're playing with two right-footed wingers, so you know someone's gonna be cutting it off the left. They're both gonna be playing crosses into the box looking for Tammy. And Tammy's the only person who's a willing runner to make a run inside of that box. When we start a game with Kovacic, Conte, and Jorginho, we are basically giving up the late runs into the penalty area for possession. In a match where we go against a team like Newcastle, where we know we're gonna dominate possession, is Conte really that necessary to keep in the game when you need a goal? Same thing with Arsenal. They go down to 10 men. Why is Conte still in the game? Why do we not get a more attacking threat? I'm not talking about Ross Barkley. He's been shit. I mean, there's there's just no other way around it. It, it. Whatever it is, it's not working. I think I think Ross Barkley getting into the side is more, you know, reminiscent of where Loftus Cheek might be in his recovery. Maybe he's not planning on coming back this year. Maybe that's why Frank came out and said, you know, Ross is a part of our squad. I'm not selling him. Maybe we are taking our time with off this cheek. Maybe he's not going to come back till the end of this season or next season. Mm -hmm. We were anticipating him coming or coming back, you know, mid February, early March. At this point, it doesn't really look like that. Maybe Chelsea's erring on the side of caution, which is fine. You keep him in the squad, but the fact that we're using him 
to this extent in games where we need results, where results can be had and won. Yeah, but it's, again, do we need results though? Yes, we do. I mean, look, we where, we're, look where we're sitting. I mean, real, <laughs> no, reasonably, okay. We like, could be sitting pretty. It's a we valid could be point. Sitting pretty. Yeah. Listen, like, yeah, like yeah. this is a throwaway season at the beginning. Like, we always have to remember that this is a throwaway yeah. season, mm-hmm. and the fact that we're sitting top four with how many points separating us and six is, points, six points, literally okay. six. I points. mean, so that's that's two a two match gap, but in, still. But in this two weeks, in these two You're matches. Right. It could have been 12 points, or not six, sorry. Yeah, 12 points. Yeah, 12. Two, you take three. out Bournemouth, you take out West Ham. No, 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 not oh, even those you know, two, like, just Newcastle and Arsenal. We, yeah, we had a lead against Arsenal. 11. Good God, if you look at the if you look at the underlying numbers of Newcastle, we should have had a win there too. So that's, yeah. that's two more wins that could have been on the table at that point. I mean, yeah. this is what so, yes, I think. Sorry, sorry, you're right, 11 more points. But I think uh... – what Zach was saying could be a good point. Like, I mean, again, this is my thought process. Like these aren't must win games at the moment. Like, yeah, they're winnable. So it's like, you should go for this one when there are, you know, going to be more matches throughout the season that are going to be a lot harder to win, you know, especially, you know, you're playing against a 10 man Arsenal side with, with Shaka as one of their center backs. Center backs. He's you actually know. the best center back they right? had. <laughs> oh my god, Socrates. Yeah. I mean, not Socrates. Uh, Mustafi. Mustafi was. <laughs> Remember wow. when they were rating him for fifty million at one point? Remember when he got <laughs> drilled in the nuts? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to co- counter what you're saying, though, Sam, because I I consider January to be all must wins because yeah, we have whole city in the FA Cup next this Saturday, but after that we've got Leicester at uh, Leicester. And we got United, who we haven't found out how to beat, regardless of their form. Yeah. We we suck against United. Then right after United, we got Mourinho again. And trust me, he's not going to be very content with losing to Chelsea or like playing the way they did, even without yeah. Harry Kane. He, then we got yeah. Bayern. Then we got Bournemouth, who we haven't beaten this year either. Then we go back to Bayern, and I'm pretty sure after that it's City. So if you're telling me that we're sitting pretty right now, I don't know where we're going to sit at the no, end of February. No, I don't think we're sitting pretty, but, I mean, again, I think I mean, what Zach is saying, like, you know, it was is probably a very valid point. Like, everything I'm reading about RLC is that he is not, you know, like, not close. up to schedule, really. Yeah. Like, there's no timetable set. So, like, in these matches where, like, you know, it's, it's probably better to get – Ross a run in this kind of match where it's low pressure and see what he can do. Um, but I mean, obviously hindsight is 2020 like, but I mean, I think for all of us sitting like without having the, uh, you know, task on our hand to integrate Ross Barkley into the squad, you know, like that's not our responsibility. That's Frank's responsibility. So while we're watching at home, we're thinking, what the fuck? I want to beat Arsenal. I don't, I don't care about (laughs) integrating Ross Barkley. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, but still, like, I, it's really funny though because you like right before the con, uh, Mason Mount, uh, came on for for Conte, like I think two minutes before that or three minutes before that, you texted saying that exact swap, and then I look yeah. up and I see Ross Barkley coming on, and I was like, okay, Ross Barkley. Ross Barkley for Angola Conte, that's okay. <laughs> and then I see Kovacic run off, and I was like, oh my god, poor uh, Andreas. <laughs> dude, poor all of us, man. Like, <laughs> poor all of us. If, if we, yeah. He was actually something. Yeah, go ahead. Good. Yeah. Sorry. 
No, no, no. You're right. It, and, and here's the thing. We've talked about, like, who are the players who have been undroppable. There's three of them, and it's been Tammy, Kovacic, and Reese James, period. We look our best when all three of those guys are on the pitch. And, yeah, Kovacic <laughs> had two bad games in December. Sue him. The two bad yeah. games he had were the games we probably, like, all looked bad in. So it's just like it is man. pretty. It, it 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 honestly is unexcusable. I think I'm trying to justify it in some way. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out whether there is, but I think at this point it really is unexcusable because. Yeah. I mean, first of all, Kovacic didn't even come in against Newcastle, so he you know he's a guy who's, who has fresh legs. I mean, wait, did he even play the match before? I right or I don't know. I don't remember. But anyway, he's still he's still a fresh yeah. pair of legs. Coming off in this 69th minute, like, I think the, I mean, Ross Barkley coming on is not the end of the world. If he came in for N'Golo Conte instead of Mason Mount, like, I would be okay with that swap. Yeah, Yeah, I guess my thing with Barkley is, like, if he starts the game, at least I know there's a better option on the bench. Yeah, Like, for example, when he started against Burnley, it's like, okay, if, if Barkley plays poorly, we throw in somebody better. But it's so uninspiring to see his name being like a go-to off the bench. And then you see somebody like City. I think they were playing Crystal Palace and they were down a goal or something. And they're like, oh, let's just call up Aguero. <laughs> and then Aguero comes in and scores. It's like, dude. And we have to call on Rishi yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess I guess the perfect example is like today I'm watching the United game. They're 2-0 down to Burnley. And what does Solskjaer do? He brought on Luke Shaw and Jesse Lingard. Tell me how bringing on Jesse Lingard is any different than bringing on Ross Barkley. Honestly, and, and Lingard gives you more because he actually like works really hard off the ball where Ross Barkley just kind of trudges around. and doesn't really look like he ever leaves a full sprint. It's just, it's just so it's so frustrating at this point. And honestly, like, you know, we talked about it months ago when, you know, Frank just stopped choosing him altogether when Conte came back and. We were saying, oh well, that's the last time we're going to see him. Well, I think I think I think we're going to have to persist with him for the rest of the season. So fuck us, right? Yeah. And, and the other thing I want to say before we like move away from the tactics and whatnot, I know people are. It, it's so easy, and I know we'll we'll get to talking about Kepa later. And it's so easy to blame the keeper when the goal comes. But let's not forget that we had 19 chances against Arsenal and 15 yeah. chances against Newcastle. And we got none went in against goals. Newcastle. One was a penalty against Arsenal, and the other was like of complete desperation. We were peppering crosses in, and finally Cho got a great one in for for Aspie to tap in. So we were not creating chances through like preconceived training or tactics. They're coming out of desperation right now, and that's a scary thought. Yeah. All right, let's let's move on. Um... I want to talk about Cho because he was crap against Newcastle. I'll just read off his stats real quick. One shot, two key passes, two out of three dribbles won. However, against Arsenal, man, was he he was something else. One shot, one assist, 40 passes completed, 87% pass completion rate, 78 touches, two key passes, 12 crosses. That's 12 Two out of six dribbles attempted, three out of three tackles completed. I mean, it it was because this kind of performance against Arsenal really, really felt so much better than any other one he could have had because it came off his performance against Newcastle. 
you know that he really brought out the haters then and it's you know we we are obviously team cho here every single person on this podcast all all two of us but uh <laughs> i mean they really shut up after this arsenal match i mean there's i think at this point there's really nothing else you can really say like that uh, b- uh, the performance he displayed he really showed everything he could be ex- but also he could be much more as well i mean he's 19 yeah. years old uh, there's still a couple things that he needs to improve on, but I mean, he was, he was, he really gave it his, his all, and I'm, I'm more, I'm disappointed more for him than anybody there on the pitch uh, for this loss, honestly. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. It, it, it was a good bounce back game for him, and like, you know, I, I, I guess the thing was against Newcastle is. At some point in that match, we just seemed disinterested. And I think, you know, when you're a 19 year old, especially playing on the wing where you're fairly isolated for most of the matches, every time he got the ball, there were two defenders on him. There's not really much you can do in that situation. Um, You know, Frank swapped him over with William towards the end of the Newcastle game. And he tried cutting inside to his left, but it was just the area was just way too clogged. And there was just there was really no room to operate against Newcastle. Now, against Arsenal was a different story. Arsenal actually was very open, as typical Arsenal is, but, you know, he, he had a nice little battle going on with Saka or whatever his name is, their, their young left back, who actually looks half decent, but it just seemed like his mindset was a little different. He went out with that killer instinct. It was almost like the Cho of old that we saw last season where this, like, you know, young, naive winger comes on and is literally has the mindset of, I'm going to dribble past you every single time I get the ball. Um, and every time he got the ball, he looked dangerous. And it's a really positive performance for him. Now, the part that sucks is that, yes, we didn't get the win, but he provided an awesome assist to Dave that should have been the assist for the winner. It should have been. And if if we win that game 2-1, Cho's getting man of the match for me because that's, that's a hell of a ball that he played in. How many crosses did we play in that Arsenal game? And the only good ones I really saw came from Cho's side. Um, you know, Mason Mount had one deep, decent cross when he came on, cutting onto his right. But Emerson still, I mean, couple, Emerson had a couple of good crosses too. Emerson was Emerson was god awful. You know, but he did have a that, couple of decent crosses. That's though. Emerson. Emerson's another player for me that just you know it it just reeks of that twenty to thirty million pound signing that Chelsea always go after these like B minus players that are only capped internationally because there's no one elite at their position. And like maybe I'm being harsh on Emerson, but I mean it is what it is. That th- that yellow card he picked up in the first half was stupid Very and needless. Stupid. And Especially the when you'd have another goal, you'd have another right back to fill in for him. Exactly. And, what are you doing? And 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 Martinelli uh, on his goal, as you know, everybody's making it out to be like, oh, he totally schooled Conte. Like, no, Conte pulled a slippy G. That's literally exactly what happened. Um, but you know, Frank talked about after the match, well. You know, somebody didn't do their job. He said there was an individual that didn't do their job, that wasn't in the right position, and it was Emerson. Should he have fouled him, you think? I mean... He could have. He could have. Yeah, and honestly, it would have been smart. He would have pulled like a... Even the match up, 10-10. Well, 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 uh, what's his name? Valverde did that for Real Madrid, and it worked. But, I mean, mean, Andres, I want want to get back to Cho because I'm going to keep going on Emerson and how crap he's been, you know, (laughs) since he came back from his injury, but... (laughs) He, and he allowed he allowed a hurt Tammy Abraham to cover that that last game winner. Their I mean. quickest player, <laughs> their quickest player in Bellerin. Yeah, brilliant. Um, 
So back to Cho real quick. So yeah, Newcastle and Arsenal, kind of a yin and yang, total opposite situation. So for me, I was trying to figure out the why he was so bad against Newcastle. And he didn't have a individually a good performance either. Like, I'm not going to take away all the blame away from him. But the Newcastle game might have been the worst transitioning from defense to offense we've had in a long time. The ball took way too long to get to our front three because Cho wasn't the only winger who had an awful game. William was also complete crap in that game. And you're right, Zach. There were two, three defenders already around at any given point when our wingers received the ball. And not just that, they were extremely isolated on top of that. So the game against Newcastle, people, again, he's 19 years old. If you think that he's going to be the one that saves you, this, this club is in a deeper hole than we think. So, yeah, he had a bad game against Newcastle, but we have to understand the why, and the why is our midfielder took way too long to get the ball to the final third, and all we did was let Newcastle get into their low block, get into their shape, and when you have a defender that knows he has help right behind him, no matter what happens, whether he gets dribbled or not, that guy's going to play with absolute confidence. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have a 90-year-old kid who's like, well, if I beat him, I'm going to have to beat the other guy. I don't want to dribble as much. I don't want to try stuff because I'm going to lose the ball. And that's exactly what happened. He had 66% of his dribbles completed against Newcastle, which is a good stat usually, but nothing came of it. And then against Arsenal, total opposite. We came to dominate. We were passing the ball quickly. He was getting the ball kind of in that space that Hazard would get the ball back in the day where he would be maybe five, 10 yards away from the halfway line. And he was given the space to dribble towards the defense before they got settled. It also helps that he was playing against that young guy, Zaka, who's not even a left back by trait. The kid's a winger or attacking mid. So sorry, kiddo, that you have to play at left back against Cho, who's one of our best dribblers in the team. But if it wasn't for a couple of heroic saves from Leno, not only would Cho have an assist, he would at least have one goal. So, yeah, the Arsenal performance was fantastic. Would have been almost a 10 out of 10 if, if not for the late the way that the game ended late. But, yeah, Cho, is, Cho had a great game. Hopefully, I don't know if he'll start against Hull City in the weekend. Maybe he'll get a break. But I hope he can keep that sort of run of form and maybe even have the, the – coaches realize that we need to get the ball up quicker because we're not going to help either of our, our wingers, no matter who's on the right or who's on the left, if we're going to let teams sit back. Because right now the solution to playing Chelsea is defending with 10 men. Zach, I don't know if there's anything. I thought you were going to respond. But... No, no. I mean, you pretty much <laughs> said it all. It's just I, I, I really hope Cho keeps up the performances. I mean, I mean, I guess I guess that's the next step for him now, right? Consistent, I think, yeah. Exactly. You know, he's gotten Thanks. over that hurdle. He's came back from his injury. Mentally, he seems to get a better grip on how he could control his mental state, you know, at different times. He's matured, right? Now it's just a matter of him putting three, four, five games together that look really good. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to see him build on the Arsenal performance, and it's going to be interesting to see because – you know, it, it, it's almost a it's almost a double whammy for him. Not only is everybody playing like shit around him when he's starting to play well, but now he's not going to have Tammy to play off of also, which is important for his development, right? Like, if if you want Cho to 
it, we always talk about you know the Cho and Reese James connection on the right, how they've been playing with each other since they were young. You know, who's to say that Cho and Tammy can't have that connection? You know, and the more time they play together on the pitch, the more they'll get that connection, and it'll bear fruit later on in the future. But depending on how long Tammy's layoff is, I mean, I, I'm I'm curious to see if that's going to affect Cho's performances at all. You know, it it, it could. It could affect him in a bad way, but it could also affect him in a good way. Maybe he'll be more inclined to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Maybe he'll realize that he's actually the biggest goal threat on the pitch now that Tammy's not out there. So, mm-hmm. Well, hopefully he is. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to need a goal yeah. threat. Um, mm-hmm. now let's move on to Keppa. Uh, just a quick Keppa discussion because it needs to be had. Um, we got a question actually from uh, at Nacho Fuentes. He says... Uh, the rumors, there are rumors hinting at a Kepa sale and a Pope purchase just to deviate from the anger caused by that draw. So let's just plant our flags. Where do you guys stand with him, Andreas? Where do you stand with Kepa? I'm not giving up yet because I just don't know what other option there is out there that could be better. So I I think he's been he was scapegoated against Newcastle because that game should have been already done and dusted the arsenal one it's a little bit tougher of a call but regardless that's just poor man marking on our end so i'm gonna stay by keppa for now but i'm not saying that he's been fantastic by any means hey willie caballero does that does that name bring you any excitement only uh... he'll play willie willie's gonna play on saturday yeah yeah yeah. he better he better just to just to kind of in terms of the media and and the fan outrage, I think Willie needs to play in the FA Cup game this Saturday. Otherwise, Kepa's going to hear it if he gets scored on against Hull City. He was just that that was awful against Newcastle. I'm sorry, he he, he should have done better. I I don't know with Keppa, I mean, some of the stuff I've been reading about, you know, Rob Green has a big fucking mouth, by the way. Like if you ever read some of the some of the stuff he's been saying that's been, you know, published recently about Keppa and about the way he trains, you know, uh, he he talked about it. Keppa has this weight that he carries with him, you know, like he's very conscious of the fact that he is the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. But at the same time, he carries this uh this Stubborn. I, I, I don't necessarily think stubbornness. I think it's more like along the, the way Rob Green described it is more like along of like a competitive drive. He saw it in a good way, um, but you know he made he had made an example. You know if they if they'd be doing a goalkeeping goalkeeping drill, excuse me, during training, Keppel would stop the drill and literally just say, "No, I need this. I need to train this." So maybe there's a little hard headedness going on there. Um, maybe that goes with the price tag. I mean, it's it's hard not to let 70 million. It's hard to be the most expensive player in your position in the world and not have that get to your head whatsoever and not think highly of yourself in any respect. But for me, it, it, Kepa's not there yet. He he hasn't earned the right to think like that or to speak like that. Yes, he's the most expensive goalkeeper in the world, but guess what? That doesn't mean shit. Felipe Coutinho costs 175 million. Is he worth? even a hundred million, you know, like it's another case of us overpaying for a player. But at the same time, you look at Kepa. Yes, there is a decent goalkeeper in there. He just needs to get his shit together. It's, it's, it's just a matter of that for me, you know, always staying ready and never underestimating an opponent, you know, the goal against Newcastle straight through his hands. 
you can't tell me that he couldn't have done better on that one. And I know you guys proved me wrong for the Arsenal goal because Sami did send a picture over and like, yeah, his vision could have been blocked by Rudy um, and, 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 and Jorginho. Was, and and he was, Jorginho, but and he, he was covering And he was covering the, the yeah, only yeah, it, reasonable spot that the ball could have landed, assuming yeah. that Bellerin doesn't have an amazing touch well, on it that curves around two of our defenders, well, which to, it did. Just to kind of give some background, my criticism was that he that that his starting position was awful on that uh, on the Bellerin goal. But yeah, and you know, to be fair, the, we the, watched the picture. Back. The picture is a screenshot of him the moment yeah. the foot touches the ball. You know, so yeah. so when when the lead up to the shot doesn't show that he was so, further left. You're right. So his positioning was decent, but I think it was just a matter of him seeing the ball really late because of the bodies that were in the way, and that's fine. And you know, in all fairness to Bellerin. He tucked it in the corner, so you know that that usually warrants a goal in those situations. But the Newcastle goal was just inexcusable. Mm -hmm. He gave the ball away against uh, against Arsenal a few times, also, and it just, you know, maybe maybe it's his overconfidence. And, and and to me, honestly, it's it it's arrogant. It's 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 just pure arrogance is what I'm seeing from Kepa at the moment. Andres, I'm I'm, I'm curious. I mean, what do you think? It's do you see that also, or is I, – I, I just I just don't know what to think. I don't know, man. I, I mentioned it – I think it was on Twitter. Like, Sam was, was saying, like, oh, well, De Gea was really good, and then he had a bad year last year. But De Gea's first or second – his second year at United was really weak. And I don't know – I don't know if it's – I just don't know if Kepa's ever had to be a leader in the back. I don't know what his scheme was like at Bilbao, if he had a vocal center back that, that handled the back line or anything like that. But I, I'm not ready. I'm I'm not ready to, to, to kind of put a stamp on my, my view on Kepa just because just last season he had some heroics. Even Lampard came out and said there's four matches this same season that Kepa made big time saves to give us the three points mm -hmm. and, and to maintain results. So I think it's one of we're we're kind of falling victim to the immediate now with Keppa. Yes, there is a stat out there. I, I think Sam pulled out where we have like the worst, like you know the oh, we see I, the I least amount a, of shots or whatever. <laughs> I have but a, I want to know where a, those shots. Like I, yeah. I would love to see what where those shots are being taken from compared oh, to other goalkeepers. I, That's what I would like to see. I saw a stat about that. I'll find it right now, but. Um... Zach, I mean, I, I, my last point. I think it's 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 a good idea to bring in some competition because I think, like you said, Zach, the arrogance, like there's like the just sitting him for a match is not gonna, you know, do too much. But like putting some like putting the pressure on his ass and like knowing like hey like I mean obviously we're not gonna fucking spend another. 70 80 million dollars for another keeper but you know like someone who's serviceable that it, it it can make it seem that we can get rid of you and still have an option like you know like it we're okay getting rid of you so i mean i think like do you guys have any thoughts on that like whether uh, i think that would be fine it's just the nick pope thing doesn't if we're we're looking for somebody with strong hands tammy's header against nick pope that save right there is just enough for me to say fuck that because that was the weakest attempt at stopping a mediocre average header I've ever seen. So 
if you tell me it's somebody else that's not Nick Pope, I'd be like, all right, maybe if we don't overpay and and he's had a record in the Premier League, like uh, like if you're trying to bring what's his face, was what it Fraser Foster, one of those guys to be a backup? Sure, why not? That guy could be okay as a backup that plays some Premier League games. We've seen them play well here and there, but Nick Pope is just like we're gonna have to overpay because he's a main player for Burnley, and that guy's just no. Nick Nick Pope, aka the next Andre, uh, the, the next Andre, <laughs> the next Jordan Pickford, the next Jack Butland. Uh-huh. I mean, the how how many British of these young, keeper. yeah, how many of these young British keepers have come around and actually like hit the ground running? And I'm not knocking like British keepers in general, general, <laughs> because historically they actually produce some pretty decent goalkeepers. But uh, come on, a, a club like Chelsea going in for a goalkeeper like Nick Pope, it's well, not Andreas, I found that stat for you, by the way. Six of the goals that Kepa has conceded have come from outside the box in the Premier League this year, and that's the most. No, no goalkeeper has conceded more than six. Okay. So, uh, but uh, I, the the stats that I have, I have like a section uh, I'm gonna do at the end. It's just stats that you don't want to hear, but I'm gonna say it anyway. But, so um, wait, 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 before before we move on from that, so six have been from outside the box, so that means that twenty six have been from inside the box. Yeah. We've given up twenty six goals inside the box. That's 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 it. That's all I'm gonna say on that. <laughs> all right, let's talk about Tammy and his injury. So clearly Frank doesn't trust Mishi for more than ten minutes of playtime for whatever reason, uh, and at this moment we're pretty unsure of the nature of Tammy's injury. Obviously, he got knocked up uh, at the very end of the Arsenal match. <laughs> where where the fuck are our goals going to come from? I mean, with Tammy out, I mean, I think obviously the you know the obvious answer is we got to sign another striker. You know, we got a week. Frank bit, thinks so. We got a little bit over a week left in this window. We got to bring someone in. But I mean, Andreas, where, where are goals? Where are our goals going to come from? Are we going to score at all? Um, well i can tell you that every option that i've been thinking about in my head is not available right now because i mentioned in the group text when pulisic was healthy it felt like we were scoring at least two goals a match but he's still out and then i'm thinking okay you goal scoring midfielder well loftus cheek is still out (laughs) and so Giroud. Frank already said it's almost like we're waiting for the right number and he's gone. Like there's nothing happening there. Well, you, Mishi missed a shot from six yards out this week against Arsenal. He could have made that it three two. Again, no. Again, though. No. Like in all fairness, just like Ross, if he was in some sort of rhythm, that probably goes in. He just hasn't. He he hasn't had any sort of rhythm whatsoever. <sighs> but dude, six yards. Like yeah, he does six he, yards. I think yeah, the the thing is like almost all of his appearances come at the end of the match, and he usually puts those away, you know. So like not right. not being in rhythm can't really be the excuse when he usually this is the role he plays anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. It's true. Yeah, I mean that's his role in the squad. He should have known that from the first week when Frank picked Tammy to start against Man U, right? Okay, this is yeah. my job. I'm gonna be part of the bench mob. You know, if I could chip in five to seven goals by the end of the season, I did my job. But, you know, it's it, it hasn't gone that way. But at the same time, guys, like, Andres, you played at a, at a high level too. Like, 
you have to be in rhythm. You can't just walk onto the pitch and, you know, have a silky smooth touch right off the bat, especially when you're coming into a game that got as intense as the Arsenal Chelsea game did. Oh, I, again, I get that, but man, like it's not that we asked him to dribble past three guys and then shoot. Yeah. It, it's the matter that he had a, a pretty open window. Got to put thinking, it on frame at least. Just, just exactly on target, not yeah. a complete whiff. This guy play probably practices twice a day. And and yeah, he's not playing in in actual matches, but man, you're you're practicing every day, twice a day. Like the the you're sleeping and you're still kicking a ball. It, that's it's just that's the same. If he scores that, that's the same goal he scored to win us a title against West Brom, isn't it? That same goal, that same goal he scored against Atletico Madrid. I mean, yep. we've seen him put those away left and right, which is just ah, like like the only the goal that, he scores. Yeah, and the fact back. that Lampard has to go back. Week in and week out for the past, I don't know, four or five weeks, saying we have no finishers. I mean, we're seeing it now. If if Tam, like you said, if Tammy's not scoring right now, we're kind of just hoping someone randomly adds their first goal of the season to the list. Hey guys, Inter Milan is looking uh, at Fernando Llorente, and if they <laughs> get him yeah. instead, maybe yeah. it's a blessing in disguise. Giroud won't go over, and uh, maybe he'll be the guy who gets the goals for us. <laughs> I mean, are we I mean, cash in on Giroud? Cash in, exactly. Oh. Cash in. That's right. Miami will buy him for whatever next summer. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, like they'll pay no, whatever price. Because I, because I think I think the inter deal is contingent on Matteo Politano leaving the club, so yeah. they can make room for another striker to come in. Because Inter financially is just like a mess. So I know they need to get rid of Politano, but I think Napoli. Wanted to send Llorente in cash. I thought he already agreed to going to Napoli. Who, uh, Politano? Yeah. Well, why wouldn't he? They have great pizza. <laughs> nice. Have you ever had pizza in Naples? It's unbelievable. Napolitano. No, just, just in Rome's. Just yeah. Rome's pizza. Hey, Napolitano, right? Nice. Well, well, did, well, well, pizza came from Naples. I see apparently. you, Sam. Don't worry. I, I heard your joke. Oh, come on, Zach. Yeah. I heard it. Okay. Let's, well, uh, so. The answer, the consensus is, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully a January signing, maybe. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get into we'll get into that. So the last talking point of this of these two matches, and this is the one that I wanted to avoid, and I wanted to apologize before we get into it for all of the. Is it time to start thinking about selling N'Golo Conte questions that I've just completely brushed off and kind of belittled like whoever? Week. Yeah. Whoever. I, I think it was Dylan Lee. Sorry, yeah. bud. Yeah, where we yeah. – do you? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I sound like a complete asshole now. Like, Because I, I, you are, you fucking prick. Well, the thing <laughs> is, it's crazy how things can change in a week, but uh, let me just read you these stats. Winning percentage with N'Golo Conte, 36% uh, in all competitions. Our winning percentage without N'Golo Conte, 71% in all competitions. Wow. Um, I mean, just if you if you're not even gonna you don't know who N'Golo Conte is, and you just look at those numbers and you're like, oh, why why do they even play this guy? You know, like but obviously that's you know numbers you can't you can't just take everything. But I mean I think it it does mean something. You know, it it definitely is not an irrelevant percentage. Yeah. You know, 
uh, Ron, aka Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy Deluxe. Happy Happy birthday, Ron! Oh, yeah, happy belated birthday! Happy, happy belated. belated. He says, "Why are there so many people out there trying to get rid of N'Golo Conte?" And I think that number has grown more and more in the past. I don't know, like three days, two days. Uh, Andreas, you're the you're the first person to kind of switch over <laughs> out of us three to that side. I mean, not. I just, of course, no one here is saying N'Golo Conte out, but you now we can actually like entertain the thought, right? Yeah, I mean, entertain the thought. Entertain it. I'm not saying that the first bid comes and you get rid of Conte. I'm just saying that I think this is the first time since Conte arrived where we're playing a style of football that just is not what he brings to the table. So, you know, Conte played in Leicester in a counterattacking system in a midfield two where he was asked to protect the the back four win the ball back and move it forward as quickly as possible. That's it. He wasn't asked to attack. He wasn't asked to create. He literally got the ball to the creators and moved on. Then he came over. Conte asked him to do the same thing this time in a three, four, three. So even more so he was the basically first line of defense. If we ever got countered when our wing backs were out of position, get the ball up to hazard, get the ball quickly to Cesc Fabregas. And then we were the ones going to be hitting on a counterattack. Uh, under Sari, it was a little bit of mix of both. Under Sari, there was predetermined passing patterns. Again, he's not asked to break down anything. He was asked to follow instructions. Was still very successful. Sari even showed us that maybe Conte can't score here and there. But now under Lampard, yes, Conte is the best ball winner in the world. And yes, Conte has the most stamina out of anybody in the world. So he can run around and win the ball no matter what corner of the pitch he's in. But if he's got the ball and he wins it a couple yards outside of the 18 and he has to then think on his feet, that's not what Conte is going to, to bring anything to the table. So for me, it's more about playing Conte, playing either to his strengths or playing when you need Conte most. So I mentioned it earlier with the Arsenal game. The moment the red card came and we weren't scoring goals when we should have, why keep Conte in when all we were going to do is suffocate Arsenal offensively? Why not bring in someone with maybe slightly better finishing or someone, someone that's with a, someone with a threat outside the box? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So again, I'm not saying that oh we sell Conte now and and we you know get done with him. I'm just saying that if we're not going to play. Your man, the the teams that actually want to play football against us and that that can actually be a threat or or that have a strong midfield, I don't see the point of starting or playing Conte the full ninety minutes, yeah. and, and that's where I'm at right now. I the numbers are scary, and I I looked deeper because like because we talked about it. Oh well, Conte played against all the big teams. Well, also Conte was part of all the shocking losses. So, and in those seventy one point four we were beating those small teams and we weren't even doubting that we could beat those small teams. And, and yes, there were other players in the picture. Like I mentioned, Pulisic hasn't been healthy. Tomori was a big part of the team then. I don't know why he hasn't been playing recently, but so things were a little bit different, but at the same time, it's, it's very glaring to see. It's almost kind of like you, you, you love Conte, but it hurts to see him try to be the creator or, or the offensive threat when you know, he's not. 
So that, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I just don't think Frank has done him any favors in terms of what he's asking him to do. Yes, he could win a ball high up the pitch. But like Andres said, when he gets the ball, what is he doing with it? And Frank is just kind of saying, you know, if we win the ball in the, in the attacking third, do something, create something. He, he gives the players – there are no passing patterns like Andres said. I mean he gives players free reign to express themselves on the ball you know, when the time is right. And whenever Conte does have the ball, the position he's playing requires him to ad-lib a lot. It, it requires him to just kind of wing it and, and, and let the game come to him. And normally you want to create a player sitting in there, right? Somebody that can yeah. pick out a pass or break through the lines or run with the ball or – you know, break a couple tackles and, and and carry the ball forward or move us into the other half of the pitch. And, and and Conte really doesn't do any of that at an elite level. Yes, sometimes he's okay when he carries the ball. You know, he doesn't he doesn't get bumped off the ball as often. Um but but you know his passing, he definitely doesn't take enough chances in his passing. It it, it very much so is side to side. He doesn't pitch in with enough goals. You know, and if he's only passing side to side, the assists aren't gonna be there. He doesn't have one this season. It's just a matter of him not being – it's a matter of us asking him to do something he's not comfortable with. I, I, I think it's as simple as that. Now, if you flip it – and we had this conversation before the podcast where we mentioned, for example, Liverpool's midfield where there isn't necessarily a lot of creativity in there as much as there is legs and you know um, safe possession, I guess you could say. Players that you know what you're going to get are going to play, you know, the the simple ball and not and they're not going to be overly elaborate and they're just going to do a job in the midfield, a workhorse midfield. Conte would be perfect for something like that if we had a front line that was clinical enough. I feel like if we score more goals, if we had a player like an Eden Hazard uh like we did last year where he could pitch in with goals and assists and just we can rely on him game in and game out to produce something, we wouldn't be highlighting this issue. Most of the matches where we were missing Conte, it came down – where Conte was playing and we lost, it came down to us not being clinical enough. Arsenal, Newcastle, you know, matches like those where it's decided by a goal, maybe two, but it just comes down to us not being clinical enough in the box. Now, it only makes you wonder if we had a front three as clinical as Liverpool's front three, would we really be highlighting this as much well, or, or, or would – or would we be more accepting of seeing a midfield of Jorginho, Kovacic, and Conte? Because that is a safe possession midfield, similar to the way Liverpool's lined up, where they just have a bunch of guys that are going to do a job and play the safe ball, not necessarily do the overly elaborate. But when we don't have that creativity up top, you need something in the middle of the pitch. And Conte has to be the casualty there, because you take Kovacic off, we're losing way too much. We're losing control of the game. Same thing goes for Jorginho. Both of them are too imperative. They've they've gotten to the point in their Chelsea careers where they're more important than N'Golo Conte right now. And well, and, and that's the reality. I, 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 the one thing that I guess I, I mentioned also is, yeah, those guys are not all N'Golo Conte, but all three of Liverpool's midfielders can still score. Wijnaldum can score. Henderson can shoot. Uh, Oxley Chamberlain used to be a winger, so we know he can shoot. And, and I'm not saying they're like world class finishers, but at least they're willing. They chip in. Yeah. They exactly. So we don't we don't have that right now. Well, Jorginho's on four, and Conte's on. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you know, like that that that's the thing, though. You know, we don't have a front three that can just score that that could give us 50 goals by default before the ball's even kicked. 
Right, the and, and, and our front three doesn't demand as much attention, which could then open up those shots for the yeah. other guys. I, I get that. Um, I do have a positive as to how we can get Conte involved again, but I am going to save that for later when it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's, that's where I'll, I'll keep my thoughts for now. All right, let's move on to our next segment. And uh, I just made it up without even consulting either of you guys. So this segment is called Stats You Don't Want to Hear, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay. <laughs> this che- is a good segment, so I actually <laughs> really like this. Chelsea have conceded goals from 16% of shots faced this season in the Premier League, which is the greatest proportion since 2003-2004 of shots. 16%. I mean, two two shots, two goals yesterday. So yeah, that just get that added to it a help. little bit, but six. Yeah, Chelsea has had only one goal all season in the Premier League scored by center back Tomori versus the Wolves, a thirty yard shot. That is the only goal, and there's only two. There's only two teams besides us that don't have a goal from a center back. 10 out of the 32 goals scored against us have come after the 80th minute <laughs> in 24 matches. Oh, Jeez. what do you guys think overall? I mean, is so, that, is, does so, that, so we, yeah, so we have a 40% chance of conceding a goal in the last <laughs> 10 minutes of a match. I think, I think the math checks out. <laughs> yeah. Something, something around there. Close and, and that, and that was hard to hear with Sam Bagazade. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, God. I think just, like, reading these stats really encapsulates, encapsulates like, what this season has been. And it's just, I don't understand, what just doesn't make sense to me is that how is it the same thing over and over again? And we, and the, like, we know what's about to come and it still happens anyway. Like, it, I don't understand. It, 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 it can't. I, it has to be like bad luck at this point, right? Like, it can't be lack of you can't purposely or have not enough skill to concede this late and just be so unlucky and have 19 shots and only score two goals. Oh, all right, let's move on to the next segment, final segment, transfer rumors. So the search for the striker, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Cavani. Right now, uh, we've sent a loan offer of $5 million with Chelsea covering 100% of his $300,000 salary per week, his wages. Uh, and it was it's for a six-month loan. Uh, this is, uh, I think, the, the holdup right now is uh, I think that PSG really evaluates Cavani a lot higher than Chelsea does. So I think this is how... All transfers probably happen, but I think that's uh, yeah, that's what. What are your guys' thoughts on the possibility of bringing in Cavani and Zach? I mean, you actually brought this up as an idea like weeks and weeks ago before I had even, even heard of around. anything. Yeah, I, mean, I low key have a scoop. No, I'm, I, it was honestly just like a pipe dream. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm seeing a lot of rhetoric online saying, why would we sign a striker that only has X amount of appearances and has only scored two goals in the last season and blah, blah, blah. Well, Cavani's been nowhere near PSG starting 11 
Um, and, you know, it, it's clear that he's having a falling out with the club. I think his mom bashed him earlier today saying, you know, like, I'm mistreating my son. So that doesn't help very much. Th there's definitely something going on behind the scenes um, in, in terms of, you know, his relationship with PSG that could be attributed to why he hasn't been playing. But you put that aside. I, I vouched for him before. Regardless of his age, the guy gets buckets. He scores goals. That's all he does. That's all he's been doing his whole career. He scored over 100 goals for two different club teams in two different countries. If that doesn't say enough about somebody that could come in and maybe give you those five to seven goals before the end of the season, I don't know what does. It, it just seems like, a, it seems like a great opportunity to bring a guy in that has a lot of experience, that still has a little bit of hunger and fight in him, um, to come in and do a job for us, especially now that Tammy's out now. Uh, the complications are, you know, complicated, right? He wants to go to Atletico. That's actually his preferred destination. Apparently, he's already agreed terms with them. Um, now, Atletico's been valuing him around $12 million. I believe PSG wants something around 20 which is what I've been, like, reading and hearing. How true that is, how reliable those sources are, don't quote me on any of it. Um, two, but two that sources. seems to be the issue here is that he wants to go to Atletico now. Um, I saw Nick Lenartsen, you know, tweeting about this this week too. He said, well, why not just let Cavani go to Atletico and then we can get Diego Costa back? Well, there's another issue right there. Diego Costa does not want to come back to Chelsea. He didn't want to be here in the first place, <laughs> right? The thing about all, all the great like, times we had, man, all the videos. No, no, the it is. Room. It is. He hates Look, London. <laughs> it'll be great. But yeah, and, and and that's the thing. I don't necessarily think he hated Chelsea. I think he hated London. I just don't think he acclimated to he the lifestyle. To English. Yeah, and he's been. He was here for four <laughs> years and didn't learn a lick of like, English. He didn't like everyone speaking English around him. He pissed Listen, him off. if you don't if you don't move here and open up a steakhouse in your first couple years, it's not meant for you. If you're Brazilian. <laughs> No, but, but 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 in all honesty, you know, like we forget how Diego Costa left. He left on terrible terms. Like that is a bridge that we will never cross again. It has been burned to the ground and there is no coming back from that. So, Nick, I'm not dissing you. You know, you think nothing even with but respect and love man, for you, man. It's but not like, the club. But, it's but the that's city. a little far-fetched. It's not. The, no, no, no. It, yeah. it, it's not the club. It's a because city. Because it's a different, but, it's different, you know, like the only people who are the same are some of the players, you know. Yeah, but, but but look, but, I mean, yeah, if, it, right, if it though. was, if it what if, if I did, we sold him six months before he actually left, and he just sat on our bench <laughs> and didn't even offer to play. Like, he didn't want to be here. You know, it, it's different if you know he agrees to a pre-contract sort of like Pulisic did last year, and then finish out the season, make a couple appearances, give it your all, leave on a good terms. Everybody's happy. It it wasn't like that. It was. It was very, very messy. It was, it was divorce-like. I miss it was, him so much. Yeah, it, it just. Me too. <laughs> me if too. If but it was I, divorce, <laughs> then, then I feel like a kid who lost, whose dad lost custody of him. I don't get to see him anymore, and I miss him. Yeah. But anyways, Andres, <laughs> I, 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 I know. How are you on this? Are you, are you high on the Cavani rumors? Or yeah, I'm all for it. Here's why. So yes, we're gonna have to pay 300k a week or whatever, but it's only a six-month loan. So what does that mean? No matter how severe Tammy's injury is, we can bring in a guy who surprisingly is built just like Tammy, can do things just like Tammy, and has done it for much longer than Tammy. So maybe he's not 
as quick as Tammy in, in a straight line, but I can tell you he's probably better inside the box moving and he's probably better at finishing. So yeah. if you're telling me in the most stressful part of the season, we can get a guy who is made for scoring and being literally a like-for-like like replacement for an injured Tammy, I'm all for it. It's only six months, so this doesn't kill my dreams of trying to sign Timo Werner as our future option because he's not going anywhere in January. Again, six-month loan. Tammy shouldn't feel threatened for his future. Therefore, it shouldn't impede or block the youth, is as how many people would argue. And Cavani can speak Italian. We have Italians. Cavani can speak probably... We have Spanish speakers too, so he doesn't know English. He can but speak French. He, the guy, yeah, the guy, the guy can communicate to the teammates. So, I think that this makes a lot of sense. Lampard was waxing lyrical over him after when he was asked about it in a press conference. Like, I, it, it makes so, so yeah. much sense. It makes so much sense that I can totally see it not happening because we're Chelsea. <laughs> but I want it to happen. I want it to happen. It, it's it's something we we need someone now. And this this six month loan gives me more confidence than a Dembele coming in, where his only experience in the Premier League was with a Fulham, or a Gabby Goal who's never who never succeeded in Europe because he was at Inter for a while and he is an Inter player still. So, if we need goals now, this isn't like Iguain where we're like, oh, he's old, he's deteriorating. No, no, no. Before this season, whenever not only did he get hurt, but PSG brought in Icardi, so. They've already been trying to move him out of the way. He replaced Slatan without blinking an eye. And he did it. He also played right wing for PSG for a while and was still banging goals. He played on the wing for Napoli and scored over 100 goals for them. He scored on us in the Champions League a lot (laughs) with Napoli. So for me, I'm all in for this Cavani thing, especially since it's only a six-month loan reportedly. Um, Yeah. It, it makes way too much sense for me. And I think think the reason why I'm high up on this is – and I think – you know, Chelsea fans are shitting on it because, like, it, it, rightly so. I, I I do see their logic in that because you look at our past, <laughs> the the other have beens that quote unquote have beens that we've brought into the club the last few years. Iguain, less than inspiring, actually completely uninspiring. Falcao, uh, Falcao. There's Pato. another one. Pato. Oh my god. I think the only one that really worked out for us was the Eto one, but Eto's just fucking mm-hmm. like. One of the best strikers I've seen, but um, it, you know, Cavani's different. Unlike those players, Cavani hasn't undergone a major injury. That's not why he's out of the side. They just brought somebody in younger and better in Icardi. I mean, it, that's all it is. He didn't tear his knee. He didn't pop his Achilles. He doesn't have these lingering problems or whatever knee issues, back issues, whatever. Nothing. You know, he's just had a falling out with the club. They brought in Icardi, who's a much better striker, much younger striker, and probably more equipped to play with Mbappe and Neymar. That's the only reason why he's not in a squad. So it's not like a Iguain situation where you know he turned into a head case and tore his knee and sat out for a year and had three, four bad success or three or three or four terrible loan spells and scored six goals in the last calendar year. No, he just had a falling out. Mm-hmm. The class is still there. We already talked about Nick Pope, so we'll skip. Yeah, that. it's only yeah. <laughs> you already gave your you already slandered British young British keepers That's... enough. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Reese James signing a five year extension through twenty twenty five. Says he wants to retire. 
I believe he loves it here. Uh, well, I hope I hope he signs another contract before then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on that? You guys are just happy? Well done. Well done. Good <laughs> business. I heard I heard Marina's voice for the first time in a video. When uh, I, I saw a video like right before they did their little photo op. It was weird. I never imagined her voice being that high pitched. I always thought she was more like authoritative. She's low key kind of yeah. cute. Low key. <laughs> yeah, that's she's what I'll say. Um, Liz. <laughs> yeah, that must be tough, honestly, though, being a woman and like that kind of scenario. Like, to be honestly, like, I'm not saying that I would do that. I'm just saying like she probably deals with that all the time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure good, she does. Yeah. I mean, she kills it, so I'm sure she's a boss. Uh, yeah. So, Lewis Baker recalled from Dusseldorf, uh, but probably will go out on loan again. Andreas, you want to fill it in a little bit? Yeah, it's just unfortunate. I thought that him going to Germany would probably get him enough playing time. I think he only started seven games so far this season. Um, he was injured again, so – to me, it's just really sad because I was always big on Lewis Baker when he was coming up on the academy. Extremely two-footed player, fantastic in set pieces, box to box. It's just another Josh McEachern situation where the early talent has gone to waste, whether it was mishandling by the club or just unfortunate through injuries. So yeah, yeah, it's just a sad thing to see him. Lewis Baker's still only 24, so or I think 24. So hopefully he can find a home somewhere. Because, yeah, I just always really, hoped that he would make it. He's a really good bargain buy for using a championship team in manager mode. But that's about it. Is that harsh? No. <laughs> it's pretty accurate. Um, all right, next, it's pretty accurate. Next yeah. point, uh, we talked about Inter a little bit earlier. Victor Moses has agreed to go there on loan with an option to buy for $10 million. Uh, What do you guys think going to be i mean do you first of all how do you think victor moses will do there second of all what do you think will happen by at the end of the loan term here's what i want to say real quick antonio conte must not believe in scouts because all he does is go back to old players like he's yeah. linked to moses he's linked to uh llorente he also wants to bring arturo vidal out of barcelona to inter like yeah. He hates scouts. I, I, I really honestly think Conte <laughs> is one of those guys that finds one restaurant and that's the only restaurant he goes and eats for the rest of his life. I, wow, that's a great I hope this works out. I think that obviously Victor Moses is fantastic as a wingback. In Italy, he'll look like a spring chicken. So I'm hoping that it works out and we can get $10 million to add to the summer's transfer bank because, yeah, we, we all know Moses isn't coming back. So... Hopefully, hopefully he can find a home with Antonio Conte. Yeah, Andres, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I love the. Yeah, I love the. Sorry, I I just love the fact that Conte keeps going after these old guys, after his old players, but also players that have played against him. That I don't think he necessarily really knows what he's gonna get. Like, does he really think that he's supplementing the squad by adding Ashley Young. I mean, Man United <laughs> tricked themselves into thinking that for the last, what, 10 years? We saw how that worked out. So Interesting moves, I must say. I mean, that, he loves uh, old dudes. Yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, Andres, the way you put it is, is so funny. Like, he, he just doesn't trust <laughs> his scouts. Like, 
he doesn't yeah. use them. I don't think he has any yeah. scouts. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, well, who need, who needs them when your other options are Victor Moses? But, uh, I mean, the second part of that question, do you, do you guys think that he'll come back after the loan, or do you think they'll nah. ride out, buy him out for the time? They'll buy him I, out. I, I hope so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think there's a future here for him. To Take the money in. Uh, all right. Jamal Blackman has uh, completed a loan to Bristol Rovers. So uh, I've actually never. I've actually never. <laughs> Good luck. The keeper. That's why he's always. He always too. gets a loan and then he gets hurt. Next. <laughs> Dortmund. <laughs> Sorry. Dortmund is reported <laughs> lo- reportedly looking at winger options in Gremio's Everton and Sao Paulo's Anthony. Uh, so are these, you think Dortmund's possibly looking for Sancho replacements? So, or this is They just... already need to start looking for Erling Holland replacements if oh, this kid no. is playing the way he's playing. No, Dor- Dortmund's, I never get excited when Dortmund is looking after a player because they are the most active club in terms of buying young players in recent history, right? Mm. Like, that that's their specialty. They go after these young guys. They keep them around two or three years, flip them for three, four times what they bought them for, and rinse and repeat. It just seems like another situation like that. Now, it's possible that one of them could replace Sancho. I think the interesting one is Everton because he he did impress this past summer with the Brazilian national team. And I know Everton were linked with him. Um, you know, like like he's friends with a lot of the Brazilian internationals. He's actually highly regarded there too, so not necessarily their second coming. But it's it's a player that Dortmund would be linked with. Now, if they do pick him up, please God, I hope they hit the ground running so they could get rid of Sancho. That would be so nice. But the the Sancho thing is something that I'm not concerned about, but has just it's been weird. This whole transfer window, we talked about it before the podcast. It's just weird how the rumors it's not the same as it used to be. If I can recall correctly, two, three years ago, you would hear a rumor on the first day the window opens or the day before, and that rumor sticks through the rest of the window. We just hear the same rumor worded 50 different times throughout. Here, we're seeing a rumor pop up once, and then it disappears for a week, and we don't see it again, like the next rumor we're going to talk about. I don't know. I just think it's weird. A weird uh, – It's it's been a weird window. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, Hopefully – this is true. I mean, I've kind of lost as much of the hype around wanting Sancho. I think he's an instant, an instant improvement to our winger situation. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. I guess I'm not too worried about next season because I'm kind of worried about top four now and knowing that he's not coming till the summer, whether they get replacements or not. I mean, Sancho's not staying at Dortmund past the summer. So, uh, I mean, good on Dortmund. We talked about how Antonio Conte doesn't use scouts. Dortmund's probably got some of the best in the world. So if they're looking at these guys, I instantly think that these guys have some sort of potential. So, yeah, I mean, I'm taking, good on them for planning ahead like they always do. Dude, I'm taking this uh, this class this semester called uh, Business Strategy for Lawyers, and we're, we read like Harvard Business Review case studies. I would love it if they did a case study on Dortmund and like break down like how they operate because i mean obviously they have really good scouts and like you know talent evaluation but you know you know they're german so the operation you know system systematically like kind of thing like they have that on point so like i'm just like so curious to see how they run their business because 
it's always amazing but um, they seem like the, they seem like the the model club that like all these mid-table premier league sides mm-hmm. should really be looking at for like sure. the evertons and the west hams and the those clubs that have similar finance like like everton has if not similar more financial capacity than than borussia dortmund how come they don't go go ahead and do the same thing that's what i'm saying harvard business review if you're listening Someone here is listening. Do a case study on how Dortmund <laughs> runs their runs their team, and you'll instantly make twenty mid-table teams infinite, infinitely better. If they can just copy yeah. it. Uh, all right. Last week, Andreas single-handedly started a rumor. There had to be some journalist listening <laughs> in because just Fabrizio ran, Romano. All of a sudden, Isco rumors just started popping up out of nowhere like hot like there was they were all over the place and really there hasn't been any updates since the reported bid was for 47 million pounds uh i mean andrea since you are the curator of this rumor <laughs> i want to hear your thoughts on uh <laughs> i mean you haven't really heard any updates since then but i mean so what do you think yeah um this guy is for those that are like, oh, well, we can't get rid of Conte, getting Isco is the perfect solution to getting Conte to be back at his best because Isco is going to be all attack and little in defense. And then you have Conte who can just be right behind him next to someone like Kovacic or Jorginho covering his butt and doing the best thing he can do, which is win the ball and give it to the guy that's going to make something happen. So I really hope oh. that it's quiet because maybe something is happening behind the scenes. I mean, let's be real. The Kovacic rumor, something came up once, and next thing we know, we have a Mateo Kovacic. So this guy, again, I'm uh, hopeless. This is not hopeless romantic, but I'm just like hoping and being optimistic that this one will go through because he's not doing anything. We have 47 million pounds in the bank that are just sitting there, and we need someone of East Coast uh, skills right is now. That- is that Andres on the podcast championing a four-two-three-one? Yeah, a hundred percent. Whoa, a hundred percent. Glad we got this on recording. A hundred percent. Bring it back. Yeah. Well, well, well. If we get Isco in, yeah, you do need to have two guys that are going to do all the running for him because he's he's Ozil-esque. Yeah, he just sense. makes so much sense because for one, he already Mateo Kovacic already knows what he has to do to make sure that. He does his part, but lets Isco do his part. Conte needs to go back to what he does best. And I mentioned it earlier. We just, right now, the last three games or so, our strategy has been play the ball wide and then pound, uh, just pound crosses in. Having someone like Isco that can change that by getting one ball into the middle and then finding that cheeky pass through the defense can add another, uh, kind of another dimension to our attack. We don't have to go to Cho, Reese James, or Willian wide every single time. Let's have somebody that's going to drift in the middle, want the ball to his feet, not just like Mount that has to have the ball on his feet inside the box to shoot. Someone that wants to have the ball comfortably around the box. He can dribble. He can shoot. He can find a pass. That's why I like I'm I'm all about this rumor right now. Yeah, it doesn't seem like we have that guy that could play like these creative flicks and you know pick locks when teams sit in and, and Isco seems ideal for that. Personally, I don't think Frank is looking at a guy like Isco just because I think Frank would prefer to have a more well-rounded footballer 
um, at his disposal as opposed to somebody that's purely one-dimensional like Isco is. One-dimensional in the sense that he only attacks. Um, he, he could attack in more ways than one, but yeah. Um, I don't know. Look, if, if this move goes over the line, I'll be I'll be so happy. I remember when Real bought him. I was I was actually like an Isco fanboy back when he was at Malaga. And, Same. Um, and, and 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 I'm not just saying that. Like I actually like watched oh, him and followed him like somewhat closely. But yeah, no, like it would be a great pickup. So I, I've always been an Isco fan. So that part of me loves this move. But the logic in picking up a guy like Isco, if it's for 47 million, I pull the trigger tomorrow. But yeah, you know, if 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 it's anything in the realm of 60 to 70 million, I might take a step back because you might be able to get a player more suited to Frank style or a player Frank would yeah. prefer at that price. I just don't That's think that point. Real is, is even going to be asking for that much more because we already know that there's our Isco is unhappy. It's all over the media. And it seems like Madrid is signing every young Brazilian midfielder coming out of the every next, young, you know, yeah. every next Neymar or whatever. And it's working out for them. So why hold on to a guy that probably is earning a, heavy wage in your in your weekly payouts just they're, they're, it again this just like the Cavani thing help me help you kind of thing we need the offensive it talent does, they yeah. need the money like and and again just because it makes too much sense it's the one thing that makes me a little bit scared about it and and, and plus it's always a shame as a hipster East Coast fan as Sam would say to see him shoved out on a left-hand side Every yeah, match for real. Like I, I don't understand what that's about. It's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove to you guys this. I'm gonna tweet my cousin who's a Madrid fan. I told him back in 2000, end of the 2012 season, or I think it was either 12 or 13, when Isco first was getting rumored to leave Malaga, and obviously he ended up at Madrid. How I told him, I was so sure he was coming to Chelsea. Like I, then, what is it now? Eight years ago, I was so like, if there was one guy I wanted at that point, it was Isco. So I'll, I'll make sure to bring that up. Hipster. Because I, just like that, yeah, hipster <laughs> for sure. He has a super yeah. it, it seems like the creativity in the midfield kind of went with Fabregas. So, so, so you know, because, yeah. okay, I mean, if you're going to look at Chelsea historically the last few seasons, how many times have one of Fabregas's passes got us out of jail, you know? especially in the Costa days. I mean, didn't he have like six or seven assists to Costa in like that single season, which is like absurd. But, you know, when when you sell a guy like Fabregas, you don't bring in replacements because you can't. It only makes sense to bring in a guy like this. So, Andres, I think I might have just talked myself into it. I think both <laughs> sides of me, not just the East Coast fanboy side, but I think both sides of me would like this because – you know, although he doesn't have the range that Cesc has, like he's not going to clip a 40-yard, you know, floated ball over the top right to your feet, but he, he is going to find those pockets of space to operate in, and he is going to drag players out of position. So He's more of your Juan Mata than your Cesc Fabregas. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. He'll come in, I, you know, if he comes into a team like Chelsea, I expect him to do something similar to what David Silva does for City from an offensive standpoint. Because in all fairness to David Silva, he actually – puts in work defensively or, or Kevin De Bruyne. Oh, Kevin De Bruyne is just the best midfielder on the planet right now. I just don't think there's any way around that. It hurts. So he had another much. ridiculous pass to Aguero against Sheffield too. It hurts so much to watch him play. Like, I don't think there's a player out there that 
gives me more pain watching than him. Sam and I have an Sam and I have an old high school buddy uh, who always sends me pictures of the Belgian national team, but only pictures where De Bruyne, Hazard, and Lukaku <laughs> are. In. And he says, "Like you mad, bro? Like fuck yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. imagine mm. where we could be, guys. Just imagine." All right, let's talk about the last name on this uh, on the transfer rumors list, and that's Alex Tellez. So. Porto has massive pressure from uh, FIFA, FIFA Fair Play right now. So uh, he has a $35 million uh, or pound release clause. Uh, Zach, what are your thoughts on Alex Tellez and bringing him in possibly? Stylistically, yes, it makes sense. I mean, he would help us a lot in the sense that we would finally have somebody that would take all of our set pieces um he's he's a specialist so if you look at his chances created um from set pieces he's amongst the highest in europe um he chips in with goals he does get your you know he does get your assists now chances created out of open play his numbers aren't as high um and you know like like i said i mean if you're going to look at just his attributes and stats the numbers are going to all point towards chelsea yeah you should fucking buy this guy but at the same time, he plays in Portugal, which has been a historically terrible league for the last decade, decade and a half. Um, so, yes, maybe his numbers could be fluffed up a little bit by then. But look, I know that last summer and the summer before that, people were talking $50, 60000000 million range for TELUS. Now it's public information to everybody that Porto does have financial issues that they need to sort out. And similar to what Sporting Lisbon stuck in with the Bruno Fernandez situation, they're going to have to sell their player at a discount. Um, so, you know, for $35 million, you could buy a guy like Telus. If it doesn't work out a year or two from now, you can possibly recoup that money back. Or you can only take a $5 million loss. And at that point, it's not really a loss. It's a rental. Um, but, yeah, I mean, financially, statistically, it makes sense. My only concern is... I we haven't seen him playing at the highest level, um, and and I mean that in international football and club football as well. Because yes, he's Brazilian. He's one of the best Brazilian left left backs in the world supposedly, and I've never seen him get near a Brazil squad. So that's also something to look at. Maybe it's just a matter of him playing in Portugal for so long, or maybe or he's actually a Marcelo decent player. Marcelo exists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean that that's a valid point there, but he hasn't even been in a squad, so. Yeah, I mean, again, for me, it's a matter of who do we have right now on the left. And, and Aspie does a fine job as a stopgap. But watching Emerson try to take corners this week was just, like, awful. And if one thing that Alex Tellis has down pat is his set pieces, so that is already an instant upgrade. He's just as fast, if not faster, than Emerson. His passing is probably better. The guy has been the best player at Porto. And, and I'm pretty sure he's been pretty injury-free. So the whole confidence thing shouldn't be an issue coming here. Uh, if we are, again, I, I keep talking about how fullbacks are so important. And if Lampard is trying to, to go gung-ho and always have overlapping options and, and overloading the wide areas, it, it'd be nice to have a player out there kind of like opposite to Reese James that actually demands the attention and, and, and requires defenses to, to get tight on him. Rather than, you know, oh, he'll probably mess up this cross and it'll go over the crossbar, et cetera. So 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, we're not getting chill well till the summer, if that. We don't know what's going to happen there. And I don't know of any other left backs that we're really looking at. So Lampard, I think, said, or some something said recently that left back and striker or an offensive player are the two things that Lampard really wants this January. This is realistic, and it's a good realistic signing. Yeah. I think that wraps it up, huh? Yeah, it pretty much wraps up the podcast. I mean, I mean, we do have whole city coming up this Saturday. Um, yeah. I don't. I mean, no real reason to get into that match. We should be able to win. We should win. Just give um, me Tomori. I miss Tomori. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, um, we some questions. Oh, we do. No, I think we hit most of our questions, didn't we? There was a Tomori question, but we never brought him up. But I mean, yeah, it's okay. I, I miss Tomori. That's 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 the only point. Yeah, me too. I really do. Um, but anyways, I mean, guys, that that is the end of our podcast. Um, until next week, hopefully, it'll be a lot brighter. Oh, fuck um, this and past a lot week, better. Man. Fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> fuck this past week, and fuck the Houston Astros too. Mm. Um, oh, here we go. <laughs> anyways, uh, we're gonna sign out. But until next week, keep the blue flag flying high. Thanks for listening, guys.